Mm. Welcome to the ninth episode of VSTML 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, who joining me as always is the Canadian who, thanks to the efforts of the casting teams, casting teams of both Big Brother and Amazing Race Canada, is not doing anything for television, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who did say that it'd be great if we could finish this season before he dies, David Bendley. And if Michelle and Anthony aren't coming, we've just won 300 euros. No doubles. Yeah, this has been sort of a mid-season break for us, because we've had a, an entire, like, nearly two weeks off, because Logan's been away. Something like that. He abandoned us. Rude. I think it's 12 days we've had between episodes, which is not normal for us. No. We've done two seasons of Vidim in the space of, like, three months. I've been able to have a sleep in for once. You have, and you've been able to cause trouble about US Mole. Yes, I have. And the entire season of the Mole US has aired in the past 12 days since we recorded the last podcast. Yeah, when we last recorded, only half of the season had actually come out. And now all of it's come out, and it was a complete regret of a season. I know we were saying this off air, it's genuinely the worst season ever. Yeah. I mean, arguably, we are recording this before Vidim 23, and let's be honest, Belkia 11's not in this conversation, but... We're recording this before Vidum 23, so that opinion might have changed by the time this actually comes out, but I very much doubt it. Especially with the rumours for where they're going next year. Yeah, I can't wait. And also, something you were saying off air, Logan, you're really struggling to work out who the mole is in this season. Yeah, it's a bit tougher to figure out that the mole US 6. I think the mole US 6, I had the mole, the winner, and the rep figured out by what, episode 6? Maybe seven, I had all three figured out in the exact positions. Here, Vidim 2011 is just a little bit tougher. You were definitely onto the mole by about episode three. Oh, episode Which three is as in. early as I was putting Cassie on top? She was definitely, like, top three by episode three, I think. You were definitely onto her by that point. I'd probably have to look back through your notes, but I'm pretty sure she was appearing at least in your top two or three by episode three. Which, coincidentally, is the point where I gave up on the season, because life's too short. Yeah, it's a Ricky Gervais sitcom. So previously, the final five tried to communicate across a bay as Arthur and Anna were locked in a lighthouse. But despite a henkel-henkel-doobel-doobel from Patrick and Karen, they couldn't find their buried treasure. While trying to avoid dodgy guys, the group struggled to earn cash. But a choice at the test saw Karen and Patrick gamble their yokers to hear from the mole, and Anna go home. And they are in Granada. Hotel Granada. And PT Anne tells us that Anna was so sure of her suspect, but still had to go home. Karen and Patrick gambled a yoker each to hear from the mole, but only one of them will receive an offer. Art didn't bet his yoker, a choice he may regret when he finds out that the offer could have helped him win an exemption of the finale. Of the finale. Of the finale? Of the finale. And then we get the titles. Did you notice anything strange about the titles? Uh... No, I did not. You notice anything, Biddles? No. There was no trust nobody. Oh. It's the first episode this season where trust nobody wasn't on the episode. Maybe they just took it out because they thought, oh, we were trying a bit too hard to make Horace a thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's episode nine. They've got the idea by now. Yeah, there was absolutely no uh, Trust Nobody during the family photo for the first time this season. And the episode title is Clairvoyant, which is, of course, a clue that Muriel is the mole, but four years too early. (laughs) 
That's a reference to the niche mole fans. Karen pulls out aside to ask whether he got the same final question that she did, but he tries to evade it, and she threatens to go 100% on him at the next test if he doesn't answer her. Which, I mean, from Art's point of view, is probably an advantage. She says that she said yes to the question, as she's kind of curious what it'll be, but he says he said no. He decided not to, as he didn't think that the gamble was worth it. And her logic was that she's going all in on one person anyway, so she's screwed either way. She might as well take a gamble and try and win something out of it. The yoker won't help her anyway if she's on the wrong mole. That's a good point. Is a yoker really all that valuable at Final Four if everyone knows they have to go all in at that point? Unless they're all in on the correct mole, that is. (laughs) Well, they don't usually let them use yokers this late in the season anymore. Usually the yoker cutoff is five. I don't know when that rule changed, but they never let them use yokers or any sort of advantage that isn't an exemption opta finale at Final Four anymore. Maybe it's like Survivor where they always, not always, but they occasionally switch up the expiration date for idols. It used to be, oh, you can play an idol at Final Four. Oh, no, wait, the expiration date is day 38. Oh, no, wait, the expiration date is Final Five. Oh, no, the expiration date is day 36 or the last round before the final episode, regardless if there's six or five people left. Oh, no, wait, now it's day 37 is always the expiration date. Oh no! Wait. Now you've now you've got to use it within the next three episodes because we need it back in the game. Yeah. Let's be real though. If Probst was in charge of this season, he would not be rigging it for Karen. No. He would be rigging it for Art, or actually probably Yan. Let's be honest. Yeah. So Karen wants to do a pot check. Patrick has been the treasurer all season long, and although she doesn't think he would take money from the pot, it's kind of strange to have her mole be in charge of it. He likes that she now obviously suspects him but it's a bit strange that she wants a new treasurer at this point in the season, and they decide that if she wants at least, Sundos should be the treasurer. Is this the first like pot intrigue scene of the season? So it feels really late. Yeah, because on the bus from the, um, the bus challenge, ironically, in episode one, they decided Patrick should be the treasurer, and there's been no mention of him being treasurer since. Because usually by this point, Tigo is hung over from the after party and vomiting under his bridge. And I can't recall a time where the group elects a penny macer who doesn't want to be the penny macer. It's the, they have to be the penny macer against their own free will. It's a Singapore situation. She's forced to do it without any input from herself. It's great. It's just the other three going, Sundas, you want to do it at least. You're going to do it because we can trust you to. Because at this point, nobody thinks it's Sundas. Nobody's even put a question on Sundas in five episodes or whatever it is and nobody thinks it's karen either so everyone everyone's on patrick this episode right if you believe the suspicions yes yeah everyone's on patrick so that means they're thinking oh the mole has been the penny macer for nearly the whole season maybe we should get that role out of his hands before the season is over yeah i mean There is a later season where the mole gets a hold of the pot and actually does some damage with it. So the suspicion if Karen's on the right track is not necessarily the wrong one, it's just maybe a few seasons too early. There's a mole who becomes treasurer and does a lot of damage to the pot as a result of it. More damage than later seasons where the winner gets less than 10k for winning? Yes. Oh. Don't tell me which season. <laughs> There's a mole in a season that you haven't seen who does 
at least two things off the top of my head that are really clever with the pot and really messes with them. Why don't we podcast about that season? Because <laughs> that season has a lot of crap episodes in the middle. Yeah. I was trying to think of how to put it politely, but yeah, that season does have a lot of crap episodes in the middle. And has it still got the record for most Fs in a in a season in your challenge guide? Uh, no, that'll be Australia 6. It's either that one or, or um, China. There is that other mystery too, where they once they transfer roles, 400 euros goes missing, and Anna hints that she took something as she left the game. So people are thinking, did she just walk out of the game with 400 euros in her pocket? I can't remember the resolution to that, if there is one, because I didn't remember this happening. No, neither did I. Because it's not mentioned the rest of the... I presume it's not only not mentioned the rest of this episode, but also not mentioned for the rest of the season. It's just a standalone scene of, oh, 400 euros is gone. Where'd it go? Oh, I don't know, but here's Peter Yan to make fun of us about coffee and volcanoes. I suspect they will probably bring it up at the reunion, but I can't remember for certain, which is weird. I did love that Peter Yan basically turns up in a jump scare, just just for no reason, just to, just to annoy them. <laughs> he does it multiple times this episode. The best thing about that is the fact that last episode, they had a confessional from Art going, oh, Peter Yan just turns up from anywhere and it scares the living bejesus out of us. And then he does it at the start of this episode again, just like, surprise, I'm here. Hey guys, what's going? Missing 400 euros? So he asks for two pairs when he, you know, scares the living bejesus out of them. Sundar says she wanted to pair it with Patrick to keep an eye on him, but Art got there first. And he says he will see them in half an hour in Central Park in Grenada, with as many people from different nationalities as is physically possible. And Karen misunderstands it as looking for as many unique symbols of Nicaragua as is physically possible. Karen and her challenge comprehension <laughs> is a steady storyline. And then Patrick in his card basically jokes at exactly the same time about Karen being too dumb to understand the word unique or nationalities, whichever one it was. Yeah, or um, Art and Patrick deciding that Karen was just going to bring different types of food. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you said Chinese. You didn't say it couldn't be Chinese food. Different nationalities. Here we have some kimchi. We have Korean here. I really wish we had some extremely obscure nationalities that they found in Nicaragua. It would have been great if it was, oh, we found a family of North Koreans. Oh, here we have some people from Nauru. Kiribosh. You found some people from Lesotho. Well done. And people from Eswatini. And it's not even named Eswatini for another five years. Or or what would have been... I think the two pairings are really kicking themselves because there was actually a UN conference going on in town that they missed by just a couple of blocks and they would have been able to fulfill the entire 197. You found someone from Djibouti, he's your looty. (laughs) Alright, Roger Corsa. (laughs) And of course, because they have to start on opposite sides of the city, how do they do it? They have Peter Yan bundle Art and Patrick into the back of a jeep and drive them across town. Or at least he didn't blindfold them and make them spin around ten times before they started the challenge. In a season full of potential crimes, this is the least people trafficky this season has been. It's really weird. I mean, it's, it's only relocating them probably less than a mile, rather than, you know, smuggling them across borders on fishing boats. I like how when Art and Patrick approach the two older men, that it's just like as if it was as if my dad was in Nicaragua. Because the two guys are like, oh, we'd go to that park, but uh, 
We're going to die of hunger before we go there. I've said this to you guys earlier, and I hate these sort of challenges. I, I've mentioned this before, that if I was on the mole, I'd just channel my inner Diedrich and go, this is absolutely nightmarish for me. But this one is just chock full of awkward moments with locals and with strangers. And it's delightful purely because of that. But I'm so glad that I would never have to do this sort of challenge. This is the sort of challenge I would never do. Like, I'd be fine, you know, bungee jumping or having to eat, you know, cockroaches or whatever, but I'm not talking to people. <laughs> Generally. <laughs> that is a Bindle's red line. Throw him off a suspect Vietnamese crane, make him eat weird food, but just don't make him talk to people. Yeah. Or Karen finds, uh, or she tries to talk to a group of tourists in English, and then they respond to her in Dutch and say, oh, oh, you're, you're Dutch, just like me. Sorry, we can't use you for this challenge. It's just funny to me that they were able to, to detect that she was speaking English with a Dutch accent and were able to just respond to her in Dutch right away. I, I suspect they probably recognized her as, you know, celebrities. Either that or they heard her screaming Dutch at Sundas at some point and went, well, there's a 50-50 chance she's either going to be Dutch or Africana. And she looks more Dutch to me. Or they find another man who says, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't like contests and I don't like reality TV. Yeah, that is very big. We're in a race for a million dollars. I don't care. I'm not getting that energy. There's a really funny, subtle editor's joke as well with the two American guys who are really hungry and haven't had breakfast yet. And I don't know whether you spotted this because it was actually in the Dutch subs rather than the English ones. But when the boys find the two Americans who are more interested in getting breakfast, the Dutch subs interpret him saying, we've walked for five miles and put eight kilometres in the subtitles. <laughs> and I actually rewound it to make sure that I, I wasn't mistaking it. But when he says, oh yeah, we've walked five miles already this morning and not had any breakfast, it puts act kilometres in the Dutch subs. <laughs> as if they really needed that distinction. Yeah, as if nobody can convert miles to kilometres. Well, the Netherlands is metric. Yeah, but I mean, if you ask someone from the Netherlands to convert five miles into kilometres, I don't think they would have a problem with that. I think most Dutch people probably have at least a decent estimation of what five miles is. Yeah, especially from all of the biking and uh, long track uh, speed skating that they do. Yeah, I mean, biking, if you find enough cycling snobs, most cycling snobs would say you have to do it in kilometres, but that's another argument. I think most people would at least either know what five miles roughly would be in kilometres, or just not care enough. Like, there will be a Dutch word for miles, just use it in the subs. Not being funny about it. So yeah, the girls bump into two Dutch girls, but they're not allowed Dutch people as they're Dutch. They also find an American who won't go with them because he doesn't like contests and he doesn't like reality TV. And yet, somehow, Karen charms him. And Art, who now labels this challenge as Buscandos Gringos, he goes to, I think he goes to an international school or like a Spanish, uh, 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 Spanish class, right? Yeah, it's an international school where um, foreigners are learning Spanish, basically. Yeah, which ends up being a gold link. They find a fair amount of people in there. My favorite thing about that is none of them turn up to Central Park. <laughs> yeah, they're like, eh, I don't know. I really need to, I need to learn what this Quiero word means. Guess I'm not going to go. 
I mean, my favourite person in the entire challenge is the cranky American who once Art and Patrick have said goodbye to him and said, thank you anyway, enjoy your day. The girls that walk past him. And he just basically continues walking and just goes, no, I've spoken to you colleagues, please leave me alone. <laughs> he does not break his stride throughout that entire scene. I'm guessing maybe he stays in Nicaragua for lengthy periods of time, and or just maybe he was, he was on a short vacation. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that a Dutch TV production crew was going to be coming through Granada, Nicaragua while he was there. I mean, they did manage to find a lot of the funnier people going, oh no, I'm so snobbish about reality TV, I don't want to be anywhere near it. Because there's two or three people who just go, no, I don't like reality TV, it's trashy. Especially the guy that Patrick, they don't even show the interaction because it sounds like the woman was that. I think the camera operator and the sound operator must have been too scared to get to the one woman because Patrick just recaps the interaction for art. where he says, I talked to this one woman and she said, I'm not doing anything for television. I mean, for all my potential awkwardness from this challenge, this was an absolute goldmine for me to do your intros from. There was not a question in hell that either of your intros are going to come from any of the other two challenges in this episode. Because a lot of these very grumpy, and I'll say it, mainly Americans, just warmed my heart in this challenge. Was it an American woman that was screaming at Patrick off screen? Yes. We had the cranky Americans who said we've not had breakfast yet. We had the guy who Karen then won round. And then we had the American who, you know, screamed at Patrick going, I'm not doing anything for television. It makes me wonder if they were being approached for other scams in Nicaragua and they were just so tired of of being approached by strangers at this point because I've been to Egypt where I got approached constantly about different scams to the point that I just had that instant mistrust borderline get away from me from anybody who was coming up to me, even if they had good intentions and weren't even trying to scam me. So I'm curious if that's why they were met with a lot of rudeness is because Nicaragua might be one of those places where they get approached for scams and, and just other activities all the time. I think the day before a Belgian game show came through and just asked them if they wanted a free trip to El Salvador. But that, that's the thing. Imagine this challenge happening with Papa Bear's Gilles de Costa, because he's spoken at length about how they they really don't enjoy being recognised when they're filming, and they lie to people's faces going, oh no, this definitely isn't the mole. I'm just on my honeymoon again. Yeah, and yet this challenge is basically built around the principle of, yeah, we're here for the mole, we're not going to lie to you. So when everyone unites with Peter Yan in the uh, in the park, the boys have found two Americans, an Australian, and someone from Nicaragua, and the girls arrive like they're rat catchers with an entire football team. Yeah. So for all of the screaming that people did at Patrick and Arts, literally no one from the language school turned up, and four people came with them, two of whom cancelled each other out immediately. Unique nationalities, guys. Unique. PTN states the bleeding obvious when he says that the girls' group is much larger than the boys, and they have a Nicaraguan each, so they don't count, and they also both have Australians and Americans, so nothing so far. And the girls also have someone who's from England, Costa Rica, Germany, Ireland, Austria, France, and El Salvador, for a total of €700, Euros, thanks to Karen's determination and Art and Patrick screwing things up. 
and there is a delightful moment when PT Ann says, oh, the boy, boys, aren't we waiting for a German? And he's just like, I can't be bothered waiting anymore, you can just have the 100 euros. <laughs> like, PT Ann is so subtly sassy with them, because the boys are like, oh yeah, we're waiting on a couple of Germans coming. And um, he's thinking whether to give the money to Sundas, and he's like, eh, I can't be asked waiting, have it anyway. I'm feeling kind. I've only got two episodes left on my contract. <laughs> my other favorite moment of that is when they get when they see the guy from El Salvador. Pityan's like, El Salvador, yes, we've been there too, but he's not looking at the guy and he says it in Dutch. If it was the Vietnamese politeness challenge, Peter Yan would have failed. There's a couple of like slightly snarky Pityan comments whenever someone mentions a country here. And the El Salvador one is obviously very funny. But I think there's another one in the the other six where he's just like, Oh, that's an interesting country. Lovely country. He just has a running commentary for everything. It's brilliant. Although, if he if he failed the the Vietnamese dinner challenge, maybe we know how he does the jump scares now. He just hides under the table, yeah. looking for his chopsticks. <laughs> so, what would the max have been for this challenge? If it's it'd be well, I guess South Sudan wouldn't be a country yet. South Sudan wouldn't be a country, and they didn't count the Netherlands because they're Dutch. So we're at one ninety five. This was filmed in 2010, right? Aired in 2011. Was Kosovo a country yet? Is Kosovo technically a country now? Yes. Well, depends who you ask, but we kind of recognize them as a sovereign nation. Yeah. Let's look this up. 2008. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like with, you know, only 30 minutes to search, plus the unique nationalities, plus being in Granada, which isn't a hugely big city... I feel like maybe three grand was about the reasonable maximum. Yeah. If you cast your mind back to Japan, we did have to do a reasonable maximum, as Logan loves to, to say, and he's I can hear him laughing already about this, that that was a six million euro challenge. But I think we set the benchmark at about three grand on that one. For the karaoke challenge. Yeah, I think I'll set the benchmark at three grand on this one if you're... If you're not opposed to it. <laughs> there, there's one challenge in one of the Australian seasons where it's basically like, it's, it's like a multiple choice quiz and you put money on the answers you want. And because they, they never mentioned you're only allowed to bet a certain amount from each question. If you worked it out and you started with, say, the maximum amount you were allowed to bid and then basically bid on the right answer, for, bid it all on the right answer for every question, you'd end up with $15 million. <laughs> So for this challenge, they could have earned a max of 19,500 euros. And that would have been great if there was like a UN conference down. <laughs> just see Pierre-Yann's face as Karen Soundhouse just drag all of these people. <laughs> it's like, what? what? What's the Pope doing here? <laughs> Kim Jong-un? You got Kim Jong-un into Granada? Into the... <laughs> into this park. Yeah, there's just an entire Olympic-style parade of nations <laughs> through Central Park, and PEM's just standing there like, what the actual fuck do I do? I haven't got this much money on me. Can I write an IOU for the pot? Will you accept 19,500 Zimbabwean dollars? We got the grandson of the Turkmenistani dictator. We got the grandson of Gurban Guli. We have the national Nauru powerlifting champion here. What's he doing here? Is this a stitch-up? 
So Karen says that Sundas doesn't suspect her, but she thinks that Sundas does suspect Art. And as she suspects Patrick, that means she stands a good chance in the end. But then again, she was 95% sure that Horace was the mole as well. And Art and Patrick have an alliance catch-up and trying to work out a way to get themselves through the next test and into the finale. Patrick doesn't trust anyone but Art anymore, and Art says it's amazing that they started with 10 people, and he never thought that the mole could be Patrick. Karen then sits down with Art and tries to find out what happened in the challenge that morning, and they decide to go into a church as it is the only quiet place, and even forgetting what happens in this scene, I'm like, someone's going to say you cannot lie in a church here. And what do you know? Art says that regardless of whether they're in a church or not, he's inclined to be honest with Karen, and he uses her job at Catholic Broadcaster, the KRO, against her, and makes her promise that she's not the mole in front of God. And he says that he can't lie in church, so he's not going to tell her whether he's the mole or not. And she feels naive and used by Art. I mean, to be fair, God's okay if she lies on the mole. I mean, we've learned that from Peter, and also he's busy helping Amazing Race contestants get a taxi that doesn't need to fill up. That is true. And also, as Peter so beautifully put it, he can ask for forgiveness later. He'll be saying a lot of Hail Marys. But you never know. I mean, Karen could go back to Netherlands this episode airs, and then she, the, you know, the Pope, maybe the Pope sees this, and he's like, oh, Karen lied. She's excommunicated forever. No, I think um, I think the Pope's more of a fan of the US mole because he he loves to see Joy. I mean, Joy is his favourite person he's ever seen on television. He doesn't mind that she cost the group 25 grand. He doesn't mind that she did all the other stuff in the seven episodes I've not seen and don't care about. He just loves Joy. It's just really awkward, though, when they get together, though, and she refers to him as the shithole Pope. I mean, that was... <laughs> That'd be an awkward dinner conversation. Now, now the two, the two of the two of you who were sitting on a detonator chair have water. Everyone else has wine. So they are then separated and take a boat ride individually. And Sundos has the feeling that they could win something big in this challenge, like one Joker or multiple Jokers. Yeah, like one Joker or multiple Jokers, which is a huge advantage in the penultimate test of a season. PTN says that they are all separated in a nature reserve and must use their maps and work together to earn 2,500 euros by meeting him at his designated meeting point within 40 minutes. Karen suspected they were separated so the mole could contact her, and she opens an envelope with a transparent sheet in it and island marked on it. Art and Sundos also get the same, and Patrick's envelope contains a colour map, a letter, and a sheet. The letter says that Patrick could win an exemption for the finale, all he has to do is make sure that the transparent sheet with a cross on it that he received lines up with the island marked on his colour map and not where Peter Yan actually is. Did Karen say that she thinks that Peter Yan was in a tree? Was that translated right? No, she said she thought that Peter Yan was represented by a monkey on the map. Repeatedly, actually. That's what I thought. I was like, did she say that the monkey in the tree is Peter Yan or Peter Yan's in the tree? All three of these options do not make sense to me. <laughs> Pityan is not a monkey, but he will fling shit at you like nobody's business. <laughs> like his business. She believes that he's a monkey, so much so that Patrick actually does have to say on the walkie-talkie, for goodness sake, Karen, Pityan is not a monkey. I repeat, Pityan is not a monkey. This entire episode is just pure character scenes, and it is delightful. <laughs> 
So they start using the walkie-talkies and comparing their transparent sheets, and Art suggests that if all the maps are put together, they will find where Petey Yan is. You know, pretty obvious solution, that one, Art. Karen suspects that the monkey on the map is Peter Yan, and Patrick does have to confirm he has a cross, and Peter Yan is not a monkey. Patrick and Art then unite on the lake and put their maps together, and then split up to try and find the girls. Patrick finds Karen and leads her back to the meeting point, and Sundos eventually spots Art across the lake. And then we get to Patrick's betrayal. Did you guys ever see the children's cartoon Dave the Barbarian? I think it was a Disney cartoon. No. I did not. Because I, yeah, cause some of the kids in, I remember like 10 years ago or so, the kids in my mom's daycare, they would always watch Dave the Barbarian. And there's this one character where in the intro, they refer to her as a monkey and it's just her yelling, I'm not a monkey. So that could be Peter Yan. I was going to say, you have to bear in mind that I'm significantly younger than both of you. Significantly. I was going to say, nobody bite in on that one? Given you're both in your 30s. By the time this comes out, so will I be, but that's beside the point. So, Patrick then spots the house that was included in the pictures he received in his envelope. If someone else finds the exemption, he will lose out on it. It is attached to a boy in the water, and he convinces them to sail around the island to where the boy is. And he becomes quite forceful in saying he wants to go to it. He gets the exemption and explains to the group that he misled them. And as a result, the challenge has ended. Anyway, congratulations on your immunity, she had. <laughs> Don't get too cocky now. You still have to come back to dinner with us. <laughs> How do you feel about this twist in the challenge? It's just odd to see the way it plays out, albeit in a hilarious way with Patrick saying no I'll explain later just let me grab that buoy let me grab that buoy let me grab that goddamn buoy right now or I swear to god I'm gonna throat punch the three of you and the boat driver and then Eric's even Soundos is taken back like just Patrick what the hell just just chill man and Karen, Karen doesn't even say anything she just stares at him the whole time while the boat's going towards this buoy and then as soon as Patrick, while Patrick is grabbing it, even before he grabs it, he says, oh, I could meet them all and I'm going to have this exemption. I'm thinking it would have been perfect in that split second if they just got the boat, you know, managed to get the boat in the opposite direction. If like Art was able to figure out what the hell the twist was. But yeah, it's just amusing to see Patrick pull it off and then have perhaps the most over the top celebration I've ever seen. And when they say, oh, man, that celebration was really in your face, that boat that was so small, it really was an in-your-face celebration. And Patrick was extremely loud on the audio, too. Do you think that Patrick had to take the exemption in front of everyone? I think so, because otherwise he would have just been able to just go there straight at the start, grab it, and then go and finish the challenge like normal. But in his confessional, too, he says, oh, somehow we've all ended up on the same boat as if he was surprised by that yeah because i think it probably would have been a better reveal not just because we wouldn't have seen as much screaming patrick if he could take the exemption sneakily and then they still go and find pete and pete and just turns around and goes oh you made it in time but it's all for nothing because someone's taken an exemption already yeah i think that is a more nuanced way that they probably would do it now rather than just making Patrick have to go get the exemption in front of everyone and go, ah, suck it, you guys. You're all fucked. I will say, I think this is possibly the only challenge Australia 6 actually improved that they copied. Because when they did it, it was like three pairs in boats trying to find the last player who was like on a dock somewhere. 
and then that player had like the the finish location they had to get him to the finishing time and that seems like a a more fair way of doing this challenge yeah i mean we've talked about how out of the blue the do you want to hear from the mole thing is from last week because everybody had forgotten about it in the seven episodes between and it it just feels a bit tacked on this challenge i like this challenge yeah definitely but it just feels a little bit tacked on the forcing the person who's claiming the exemption to actually do it in front of everyone and be mean about it rather than just doing it sneakily and there being the, what? Someone took an exemption? How did that happen? Who has the exemption? And then revealing it at the test or at the execution. Yeah, it's it's only here because they need an exemption for the finale and they can't really do it in the nationality challenge or the next challenge. I mean... I understand why they did it. It just feels a little bit tacked on the whole exemption dilemma. The odd thing here, too, is that it takes them a long time to believe that Patrick has the exemption. Because Soundos just repeatedly says, oh, you're full of shit, Patrick, you're full of shit. And then Karen keeps mocking Patrick's phrase of, the mole approached me as if Patrick had some sort of, uh, was under some sort of delusion that it happened or a hallucination that he was approached by the mole as if it's Patrick saying I was approached by a ghost or a poltergeist. I'm sorry, did you just say poltergeist rather than poltergeist? Yes, I think I did. Poltergeist, poltergeist. I've only seen the word written, but I don't think I've ever heard the word said aloud. Zeitgeist, poltergeist, poltergeist, yes. Yeah, it is poltergeist. I'll, I'll tell you that for nothing. Well, I don't really watch too many horror movies. I don't watch any horror films, and yet I know it's Poltergeist. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> Didn't you do creative writing at uni? Sure there's an English component of that. Poltergeist, Zeitgeist, yeah. <laughs> That's alright, if the ghost is a knight, it's a Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, it's a ghost in the night. <laughs> oh, the puns. <laughs> and just, anyways... So it's funny to see just everyone's thinking, oh man, uh, Patrick, man, he's really delusional. He thought the mole approached him. The mole didn't approach me. Like, Was it like that s- episode of The Simpsons where you know Mr. Burns gets injected with all those drugs and wanders through the forest and it's some sort of alien spotting that warrants a visit from Mulder and Scully? And then even Art just gets frustrated and says, well, what the hell is this then? Have we just been doing a phony challenge all along? So it feels like it... I wonder if production had to intervene and confirm and say, yes, Patrick does have an exemption for the finale. I did like the shot of Peter Yarn being all, I waited long enough, what's for dinner, and then just walking off. Yeah, the the shot of Peter Yarn on the island, which didn't need to be there, just looking at his watch and then walking off forlornly, is obviously the banner of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't used Peter Yarn in banners for a few weeks now, so obviously Peter Yarn is the banner again. And the phrase you're looking for with Art's confessional is what sort of ludicrous backstabbing challenge this was. So Peter Yan tells us that Patrick jumped at the mole's proposal, much to the frustration of the other candidates. Karen, Sundas and Art are one assignment away from the test for the finale. Or so they think. And then Patrick has another ridiculous confessional where he says, Oh man, I have to say I felt bad for the other contestants. As he's smiling like an over-the-top smile holding the exemption, but he's trying to be really sincere that he feels bad for the others. I'm thinking, oh, come on, Patrick. Just own your excitement. Just two seconds ago, you were screaming in everybody's face at the top of your lungs, 
that you were approached by the mole and you are now exempt through to the finale. Come on, man. So he then meets the mole and tells them that they will be split into pairs. One pair will study the Mombacho volcano and the other will study coffee. He warns them to pay close attention as the knowledge that they gain will be vital to earn money for the pot. I thought it was funny that he basically talked about the volcano, gave the cultural context of everything, and then the other group was like, and the other group likes coffee, and then he just moves on. <laughs> and of course, this isn't even the most recent coffee quiz-related assignment, because there was one in Colombia as well. I have a question for you guys. How do you feel about the exemption challenge being the middle challenge, and then they have to do a challenge like this at the end of the episode after we've just had that huge high-stakes challenge of Patrick getting the final exemption of the season. I'm okay with it because they've got the twist coming up in a, at the end of this episode. I think in a, another situation, I'd probably prefer the mangrove thing to be last. Also, if they had a more fractious group and if they had a group of four people who hated each other more, the fallout from the exemption would probably carry over to this challenge and make it more entertaining. So I think that's probably what they were going for by having it as the middle challenge. That there's now all this distrust. It's not just everyone thinking that Art's screwing up the challenges, but now Patrick just took this exemption for himself, and now everybody's on their toes thinking, well, who else did the mole approach? Because Karen spent a yoker. Is the mole going to approach Karen for this challenge? Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of, of mistrust sowed, thanks to the second challenge, that they can then play within the third challenge. Not that it really has any sort of impact, because... Oh, it's just fucking around, let's be honest. And I did not expect us to learn the name of one of the guides for this challenge, because Art refers to his English guide as Eddie the English Speaker. Both of them we actually learn the names of, because the volcano guide is called Carlos. Carlos? Yes, we hear that later in the challenge. Carlos and Eddie. I wonder if that's like the Spanish version of uh, Charles and Eddie? Well, it is. <laughs> it literally is. But yeah, I think it's when they're swapping information the name Carlos comes up as the, the guide for the volcano. Yeah, do you think they would they would lie to them? It's the sort of thing that has turned up as the answer to a quiz challenge like this before. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's one of the, the classic mole challenges of, here, this uh, massive lecture around a museum, and the only question that will earn you money is, what was the guide's name? Yeah. So everyone wants to do coffee, but Sundas wants to split the guys up because they were together for most of the previous two challenges. So she goes with Art to do coffee and leaves Patrick and Karen to do the volcano. We did get a really fun edit here with Karen basically complaining that her guy doesn't speak English at all that well, which you know somehow sounds less racist when it's coming from someone like Karen who doesn't speak English as a first language either. And then Art saying his guy's English was excellent. Yeah, they they were complete dicks to Karen there. And Karen is basically the main character of this episode. Yeah. Karen gets by far the most confessionals and stuff in this episode which is very rare this season. And it's about time. Yeah. I mean, she's a star. I love all of this Final Four for different reasons. I like how the storyline of Soundos being annoyed by Art always taking over every single challenge since uh, Flavoring 1 also plays into it here, even when they're the only two people in the pairing. I know they spoil it in the trailer for this episode, but the no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes thing just made me laugh, especially as Peter Yan has a really, really bitchy reaction to it. <laughs> We're at the end, Peter Yan says, well, I heard Soundos say yes eight times, so we'll go with that. 
<laughs> it's the second time this episode where he's just been like, hey, I'm going to look at my watch. I'm just bored with this. I'm just going to let you have the right answer. <laughs> yeah, just how, just show like a clock on screen, slowly fade in and out. What's your sound? It's an art acting like school kids shouting yes and no. They earned 300 euros entirely by preying on Peter Yan's apathy towards them. <laughs> and being just like, yeah, I don't give a shit anymore. Have your money. If this was more of if it was more of an American production, say Survivor or Amazing Race, you couldn't judge on uh, which answer you go with. There, there would have to be some sort of rule there saying if two people can't agree, then we have to flip a coin or pull rocks. You wouldn't just have Jet Probe saying, "Well, that person said yes more, so that's what we'll go with." <laughs> you just pick one option or the other. You don't just you don't just like mash the A button on the controller to say yes the highest number of times to get what you want. It's the PTN tiebreaker rule. It's just, whatever PTN wants to do, PTN does. The other thing is, if he knows he's quitting as the host of Vidim, I mean, what can they do to him? It's just like, well, I only have two tasks, three tasks left before I'm done with this gig, so sure, Soundos, we'll just go with you. Here, take this 100 euros, or 200 euros. So the volcano pair come across the lottery plant, which can cause loss of speech, sterility, and death, otherwise known as three of the rejected names for the seven dwarves. <laughs> and Sundas and Art find out that women usually sort the coffee beans because they're more patient. Art doesn't have a good moment here. <laughs> it's not just that Art doesn't have a good moment here, it's that he then repeats the good moment when they're swapping information. Because he thinks he's fucking hilarious. Because he says that the reason that women sort the coffee beans is because it is, and I quote, stupid work. I remember on, t- was that Marika you were talking to on Twitter? Where she said, you know what, when I'm not a, as big a fan of season as you are, because I'm not a big fan of art. And when this scene plays out, you think, hmm, this is something, if you had like the the word replace function on on a word pad if you had the script for this season. I think you could just uh, replace the word art with Tigo and it would be equally believable in the script. It'd be like a Tigo quote here. Yeah, I was having a chat with the lovely Marika about um, about this season on Twitter a few days ago and she did say that she never liked art from this season onwards and even when he was hosting. And I sort of get why when when you hear him say this, and he's made a few other slightly off-colour remarks during the season as well. I'm curious when he was host if there were quotes that went on air that were like this one where he thought, oh, I have this hilarious sexist joke. I'm going to repeat it three times until everyone laughs at it as much as I did in my own head. I don't know about sexist, but there is definitely one that they'd left in the episode where he bitches about Flemish alphabet or something. I have a feeling that they probably wouldn't have aired this scene nowadays. I think they probably would have cut it out, not necessarily because Art was going to become the host, but more that they didn't want Art's home to get firebombed. Because it's not even a clever sexist joke. He's just saying, oh, it's stupid work, so they let the women do it. It's like, there's no there's no punchline, there's no setup for it. You're just saying women are dumb. That's your whole sentence, Art. This is a guy who is a supposed genius. Meanwhile, stupid Sundos realises it's going to be a quiz challenge and that the guide is going to give them all of the answers they need. While genius Art just keeps asking follow-ups after follow-ups after follow-ups. Just because he's, like, actually interested? Yeah, it's wonderful that he's interested, but, you know, 
when he wins this season, go back to Nicaragua and do the tour yourself and then ask all the questions you want. Yeah. But you're going to earn less money for your winnings if you just don't shut up. As much as I like art, he needed to just shut up on this challenge for many reasons. I'm very curious because this was this would have been what five years before the before Me Too movement. Yeah, it was about 2016. I'm curious if this aired after that. Just what the reaction of the Dutch public would have been. I honestly don't think they would air those comments now, and I don't think they'd air half of the shit that Tico said in Hong Kong, Philippines. Because I'm just thinking about it, especially when every challenge the narrative is Art and Patrick are talking over everybody, including Soundos, who seems to know what she is doing, and it takes about half the season before they say, hmm, we should listen to Soundos a bit more, especially when you have that added layer of when they do agree to listen to Soundos, Art and Patrick will still chime in, but if one of the women other than Soundos chime in, then Art and Patrick will say, hey, quiet you, listen to Soundos more, isn't that what we agreed upon? Oh, now we're going to talk over Soundos again. Lest I remind you that one of our introductions to our in episode one was him on the bus talking down to Sundos and going, Louster Sundos, which was our banner for episode one. That was like the second or third scene that we saw Art in in this entire season was him just being a bit condescending to Sundos on the bus. It's not like the clues weren't there. No, Art's a dickhead. And it's a very good thing that he's a far better host than he is in this season, as a person, I think. So, when they reunite, Peter Yan says that Karen and Patrick know all about the Mombacho, and Sundos and Art know all about coffee, but it'd be way more fun for him to ask questions to the other teams about their specialist subjects, so they got ten minutes to exchange their information before he starts asking things. And interestingly, Art suggests that they split off into pairs and exchange information, but Sundos shuts it down quickly, as does everybody else. How do you think Mole would sabotage this challenge? If I was the Mole, I would not correct my partner if they gave out incorrect information. And then when the questions were coming, because I noticed Patrick did this a lot, that if Karen gave out a wrong answer, Patrick would be like, yeah, I don't really know. You sound really confident, Karen, so we'll go with that. And then they, they would get it wrong. So I was, I was thinking, hmm, that would be the ideal strategy. Just go along. Even though the other person's going to get the credit for giving the wrong answer and losing money, the mole just co-signing it discreetly. I mean, that's where the real sabotage is. Because that's a classic tactic. Hmm. I think the mole's best tactics can actually start in the information swapping. Because it is in the mole's best interest to not have people split off and swap information, but to all basically shout it at each other and it get lost in the melee. Because the mole will know what topics need to come up, I suspect, assuming that the production team are half-competent. The mole will know what the five topics for their side are, and what the five topics for the other side are. So they just need to make sure that that information is lost in the melee, I think, before anything else. Because even if the mole is being suspected at this point in the season, it's far more prudent for them to be able to take a step back and let everyone else screw up rather than them specifically do it, I think. I will say, without giving anything away, because I know Logan hasn't seen the next two episodes yet, the mole does do something else that we haven't discussed yet. I am being deliberately coy with what I'm saying, because I know the mole does something else. (laughs) 
it's also easier to sabotage when you've just got sound else and art screaming yes no yes no at each other for about 10 minutes during the note swapping let alone the question answering and the even better thing is to bookend this episode peter yan then appears and scares the living bejesus out of them <laughs> as they're trying to swap information oh yeah that was the best part he just sneaks up on them it was it was the whole david s pumpkin scene again it's like pencils down <laughs> he just came out of nowhere like how did he it's, it didn't even seem like he came from the left or right. It's like he came from up out of the ground like a Diglett or a Doug Trio. It's my favourite joke that they're doing this season is not even showing P.E. an approach, but just kind of making him appear. Like he is supernatural. It's brilliant. And the best bit about this one is because they're filming it like on a trail or something, there's no way he can even come from without them noticing. But he still manages to absolutely scare them shitless <laughs> yeah i even have it in my notes peter yan jumping in between them and then in all caps out of nowhere to say the time is up <laughs> so sundas knows that the volcano is two million years old and not 34 million years old as uh, as art said so they get their first 200 patrick and karen forget the six digit capacity of the reservoir which is the hardest of the 10 questions so rather understandable and Art and Sundas know that the islands were created by the volcano. Karen and Patrick know the maturity of the coffee plants. Sundas says lonary plants rather than lottery plants. Karen and Patrick say £50 rather than £1 is the yield for the coffee plants. At least she didn't get kilos and miles mixed up. That is very true. Sundas and Art weren't told the nationality of the salamander discoverer, but Art says it's always a German, and they are correct. Natürlich. Yeah. <laughs> it's, always, it's always the Germans. Blame it on the Germans. Patrick and Karen know that coffee is harvested in December. Sundos insists that the salamander's legs grow back despite arguing with Art. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Peter Yan heard yes eight times, so accepts it and they're right. And Patrick and Karen don't know how old the plant is before it becomes too big. And as a result, they earn €1,400 of 2000 for their seven answers, giving them €1,700 of, let's just say, 7500 for the episode, and €20,740 of 58550 for the season so far. I did like, there was one question, I think it was the one about the harvest, where they answered, like, November. And then Peter Yarn was like, yes, but it can also be December or January. <laughs> Just like, even when he gets, even when they get it right, he still patronises them. Yeah, Peter Yan just cannot help himself when there's some correcting to be done. I think that's the best way to describe his, his style when it comes to this sort of a challenge, is he knows the answers, he knows he's right about the answers, and he just cannot help himself but correct people. And he also tells them to get ready for the test, one that could get them into the finale. Patrick says that his good friend Art has been mulling like crazy, screwing up kilos and pounds, and Sundos also calls him out for those exact actions, saying he's suspicious before they take the test. And it is now time for the test, 20-ish questions about the identity and actions of the mole, whoever knows these goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Patrick has an exemption of the finale. Sundos knows that Karen isn't the mole, they've shared a room so much, and she's promised Sundos that she's not the mole, and Sundos trusts her. Karen says, Neats is what Ted liked, she's always trusted Art, but you should never believe in that trust. She's following her former tactics, Patrick is the mole, and she knows the most about him. If she swaps to Art now, she won't know enough about him, and will go home. Art is afraid that he's been the best friend of the mole all season long, but he's not been so blind as he is still in the game. He plays his last yoker as insurance, but bets every question on Patrick. 
and he promises us in confessional that he's not the mole. And as a surprise, there are more than 20 questions in this test, and they are asked about the tree challenge, which hasn't happened yet. The Sundust says she thought she was going mad. There are three bonus questions and zero explanation. I wish they just kept adding more and more questions to it. They should do a twist one season where, like, as soon as they get there, they do the first test, and then it's like 20 questions about all of the different challenges from the season, and then those count towards the final test at the end. See, I wouldn't be opposed to that twist, because that's actually interesting, and people can have some sort of impact on it. Yeah. Arguably, I'm not sure whether these three bonus questions do have much of an impact, but we'll see. (laughs) So when they meet up with Peter, Yann, and Patrick... PTN tells them that they've answered questions about things yet to come, and there is a chance for them to change the future to their advantage with one final assignment before someone goes home. And that's the end of the episode. I think it's very interesting that they obviously didn't know this was an 11-episode season. Because when Patrick takes the exemption, um, and everyone's like, what? What the hell happened there? Art says, oh, don't worry about it, Patrick's through to episode 10 now. So they didn't know that there was a bonus episode in this season. And I'm not sure whether the producers did either. Hmm. I have a feeling that they probably didn't know that there was going to be 11 episodes in this season. They probably knew it was a potential, which is why they set it up in the way that they did. But I don't get the impression that they knew for certain that they were getting 11 episodes until after they'd filmed this season. Is that 11 including the reunion? Yeah. Okay, so next round they have a mid- episode elimination in the final three if i'm not mistaken it's is it one challenge then the execution then one challenge and then final three no so it's one challenge then the final four execution and then it's straight into the final test oh yeah it's weird which is why you know when you asked me the other day whether we were getting logan to watch the first bit to, just so we could uh, eulogize the fourth place first and i was like no because there's nothing to discuss after the elimination Yeah, I sent Bindles a message a couple of days ago being like, do we need to get Saunders to watch the start of episode 10 and do what we did with Diedrich just so we can actually eulogise the person properly? And he was like, no, there's absolutely no point because that's just episode 10, basically. I see. That's weird they didn't do a challenge after Final Four. But yeah, this is what makes me think potentially that they didn't know they were getting 11 episodes, is the last two episodes are quite weirdly paced in that way. Yeah, that is very odd. There is really no need for an episode 10 then if it's just one challenge and two quizzes. Or rather for an episode, or to expand to episode 11, rather. And I don't know why, because there's no real reason that I can remember event-wise why they would need 11 episodes. Because obviously season 10, the year before this, was interrupted by the, the Vancouver Olympics. There's nothing on in 2011 that I can think of other than they knew they were saying goodbye to Pete Ian and they wanted to give him a a good 11-week send-off rather than 10-week. But it's still, I think, the only season to do 11 weeks. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Two of the civilian seasons were 10 episodes plus the reunion, but this is the only one since the celebrity started. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, it was weird for me doing the intro going, oh, yeah, this is the ninth episode rather than the final episode, because obviously traditionally we would, from episode nine, be going straight into the finale and reunion episodes. Yeah. The other thing I did find out about this season as well that I did forget to mention is this was the first HD season. This was the season where they they changed everything over to HD. Oh. Which I never realised. I thought it was a 
when art took over thing. Obviously, because the the subtitles that we're used to with this season, because we're recording this before Marika's done hers officially, is because the episodes are potato quality. But yeah, this is the first season that was actually broadcast in HD. And like the season does look really good. But also, you know, so does Japan. And then next season, the first half of the season is like dreary, dreary Iceland. Yeah, I I mean, it goes back to what Peter Yan introduced the season as and it's a new decade of the mole. And I think they conveniently about the same time as Amazing Race did thought, yeah, the cameras are probably cheap enough now. We'll do it in HD. So next time, everyone fights to change their future in the trees of Nicaragua. Art takes money, and someone gets a red screen before the final three take their final test. So, who do you suspect Saunders first? Uh, number one is Patrick. Patrick's at the top of my list, based on what has been discussed over the past couple of weeks, I guess, and especially this episode. Uh, number two is Karen, and number three is Soundos, and yeah, that's it. That's the list. And... The other question is, who do you think the fourth place is? Uh, so essentially it'd be Karen versus Soundos on the quiz, since Patrick's in, and I know Art wins the season, so it's got to be one or the other. Unless Patrick has to defend his exemption, but it doesn't sound like it. He didn't even take the quiz. Uh, I will say Karen goes home here. Although it would be hilarious if, if Patrick ends up being the mole, but the reason why Art wins is... Because he beat Karen on the final quiz of all people. <laughs> but uh, let's say Karen goes home here. And then, 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 of course, Patrick as the mole, Art as the winner, and then Soundoffs as the runner-up. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to say? No. Nope. Apart from eulogizing insert name here. I mean, they were a wonderful person, and we will miss them. They were a great character on this season. I wasn't a big fan of them. The next episode's going to be so long, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, God, this one was long enough. So, thank you for listening to our Vs to Mole 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to conclude the hunt for an old mole in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsquacky, Pindles is a Grimmian Kaffer, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week for the final two episodes of the season. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Hail Miliana, full of grace. <laughs>